Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, everyone. My name is Rick Thomas, and we're doing Life Over Coffee. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. Someone came to me, and they asked a a very simple question, but the question is also complex, and so I want to share the question with you, and then I want to walk through it. Here's the question. Should Christians separate from sinners? Now, that is an excellent question that I think that we all should spend time thinking about it. Now, let me give you some context to the question that was asked, and then I want to really just to pull it apart, or as we like to say, I want to unpack that question, and I'm going to come at it from from several different angles because I, I believe, I mean, it's important to him. Obviously, he's asking us. But I think it should be important to all of us. Now, here's the context. Uh, He was talking about separating from sinners because he has a concern about the tension that he sees in the culture, not just in the culture, but within the Christian community, and also the confusion that comes with associating with people who just reject Christ maybe hanging out with someone, maybe attending an event. This is not the first time that this question has been asked. Uh, One of the more common ways that this question is asked is, uh, my daughter, my son has just come out as gay, and they're getting married to a same-gender individual, and they want me to attend their wedding. Should I go to their wedding? Now, I have devoted an entire podcast to that exact question, But in this particular episode, I I want to speak more broadly and generally to just hanging out with sinners, even though everything that I'm going to say here would apply to specific situations that you may have, like the one that I just shared about going to a wedding of your child, a a gay wedding, which is a significant issue and a tension that most definitely would come into any family. And so this person is looking out over the cultural scape, and they're also thinking about the body of Christ. They're thinking about Christianity, and they see uh, that the lines are becoming uh, harder and harder to discern. As our culture becomes darker and darker, knowing where to draw the lines of separation is becoming more difficult. It's more of a challenge uh, to be able to discern these things. Thus, we come back to the question, should we separate from sinners? What do you think about this question? Now, the Bible doesn't give us explicit answers. Like most things, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, Uh, but most of the questions that we entertain in our lives fit within this gray area, or what I, the way I like to think about it is that it's over this underarching umbrella of what I call wisdom issues that that rolls out into secondary and tertiary matters. I'm not saying that they're unimportant. They are important, and we have to wrestle with these tertiary preferential matters. But what I am saying is that the Bible is not clear as it is on thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery. Some things are just black and white. But most of the questions where most of us live, it's not black and white. It's just not that clear. And so we need the wisdom of God. We need the guidance of God's word. We need the input of our community. 
And we also need to be aware of our own conscience issues because we can't sin against our conscience. And so I want to talk about should Christians separate from sinners. But before I do that, there's a couple of housekeeping items that I want to bring to your attention. On October the 1st, 2022, our ministry made the most dramatic change in the entire 14 plus years of doing ministry. And we have finally rebranded and relaunched. And this might be the last time that I ever say these words rickthomas.net. It doesn't exist. In fact, you can go on any, on any computer in the world and type rickthomas.net, and it better take you to lifeovercoffee.com. I trust that it will, or we have made a mistake. And so on October the 1st, 2022, after so many years of praying, talking, planning, building, we have finally become lifeovercoffee.com, and that is where you will find us. We are set up. Uh, this is what I have called our legacy uh, phase of our ministry. That's not. I did not create that. Uh, we consulted several years ago when we started. Uh, we hired a, a Christian consultant. Uh, he actually works for Desiring God, John Piper's organization. And we met with him and met with him for a long time. Actually, he came down uh, here to Greenville, South Carolina, and, and we began talking about legacy ministry, how to set this ministry up generationally. And one of the things that became apparent, there were many, but one of the things that became apparent right in the beginning is that it couldn't be rickthomas.net any longer because that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't say anything. It's not who we are. And so anyway, the end of the story is we are lifeovercoffee.com, and that is a better reflection of our ministry, meaning we believe that any two or more Christians can get together and they can do life over coffee. Uh, they can talk about what's going on in their lives, and, and they can look into God's Word together. They can appeal uh, to the Spirit of God to illuminate their minds, and they can do life over coffee. We believe that the Christian community can spur one another on to love and good deeds, and our ministry is strategically positioned to come alongside the body of Christ to help them to think about these matters that are so important. And so we have rebranded, we relaunched, we are in many ways, we're a different ministry, but it's the same heart. Our heart has not changed, our mission has not changed. Uh, the way that we uh, believe that God wants us to help the body of Christ, that has not changed, but we're lifeovercoffee.com, and so please check it out. Now, if you are a supporting member of our ministry, uh, meaning you're underwriting this ministry financially, and you you are the ones that uh, make it possible for us to give our resources away. Uh, we have private forums for you. And so if you want to uh, ask me, ask our team questions, I want you to go on the private forums on our website. It comes with your membership. And so those, that is available for you, and you know who you are, and many of you have been on the forums, and so I want you to continue to do that. Those private forums are still there for you 
to ask whatever question that you have, whatever question is important to you. Now, for everybody else, don't be a supporting member. Don't send us money, okay? If God wants you to send us money, do it. But I'm, I'm not making that plea. I'm not making that appeal. But I am saying this. We want to help you. We don't want your money, but we want to help you. And so you can go to the Discuss link in the navigation bar and click on it. And if you have a question for us, you don't have the private forums that you can go on like our supporting members, but that's fine. We have something else for you. Hit the discuss button on our site. You don't have to fill out. You don't have to give us an email. There's no password. There's no username, nothing. Just hit the discuss button. And you have two options to ask us questions. You have a forum a form that you can fill out, a written form, and you can type your question in, like this question here that I'm answering in this episode. Or you can click on an audio link. We have an audio button, and you can record your question if you want, and you're welcome to do that. So you have two options. They're free. There's nothing you have to sign up for. There's no money you have to give. Again, we don't want your money. We want to serve you. And so if you have a question for us, just hit the discuss button and you can write it out or you can talk it to us by uh, going on, uh, putting, it, putting it in audio. And that would be fantastic. OK, and then you can flatten it out. You don't you don't have to use your name or anybody else's name or the name of a church or even where you live. It, it, that's not important to us. What's important is, is that you, you, you tell the story. You ask the question and we would be glad to answer it. Uh, for you. And so those are the folks that aren't uh, supporting us financially. We, we have not left you behind. We're not going to leave you behind, and we want to serve you. All right, so let me get to the question. The question is, uh, should Christians hang out with sinners? Uh, that is an excellent question. Should we, should we separate? In some uh, religious cultures, Christian cultures, uh, they have this doctrine. It's called the doctrine of separation. They have created this doctrine means teaching. And so they have an entire teaching on how to separate uh, from sinners. And you'll find that a lot of times, not all the time, but a lot of times you'll find that in legalistic cultures. And I used to be part of a, a legalistic culture, that, and, and I was beholding to the doctrine of separation. And it was really unfortunate. And, and so that's something that really needs to be dismantled. Uh, but still, we need to think about, and that's why I want to deal with this question, we need to think about should Christians separate from sinners? And the first thing is, is maybe the most ironic at all, and I know that you know this, but I, I want to say it aloud because it needs to be said. It's kind of like a pink elephant running around the room. We're all sinners. And so in the most technical sense, we can't separate from sinners. Uh, there was this old guy, I think his name was Simon, Simeon, uh, the stylite. Uh, he went up and, and, and lived on a platform for like seven years. Uh, this is from church history that I read 30, 35 years ago. Uh, but that was the idea because he wanted to separate from the world. And, and part of his conclusion was is that he can't separate from the world because he found out what uh, John taught us in 1 John chapter 2 that worldliness is in our hearts. And so we need to say that. We need to have that discussion because what, what could happen is, is that you could think 
separating from sinners, and the implication is I'm separating from the world, or what people would call worldly. That person is worldly. That is worldliness. And that's why it's important to say this aloud, that in the most technical sense, you can't separate from sinners because you can't separate from yourself because worldliness is in our heart. And so, therefore, when you ask this question, part of the answer is we have to come to the place of understanding what worldliness is or maybe locating worldliness. And that brings us back to what John said uh, in 1 John chapter 2, specifically verses 15 and 16. You know these verses well if you've been hanging out in your Bible for any amount of time. Uh, eventually, Christians run into this passage and they use it and love it. It's a beautiful passage, 1 John chapter 2. John said this, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's the first, that's the first two sentences of 1 John 2, 15 and 16. Do not love the world or the things in the world. That's sentence one. Sentence two, if, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Sentence three, for all that is in the world. Now he's getting ready to give us this diagnostic of what is in the world. For all that is in the world, and he names three things. The desires of the flesh, that's in the world. The desires of the eyes, that's in the world. And the pride of life, that's in the world. Those three things are not from the Father, but is from the world. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, you'll notice that those words, desires, and pride, those things are in our hearts. And so what is in the world are these desires, these sinful desires that we have. This is how James, uh, how John is talking about worldliness, and in some way he is locating worldliness as in our desires for those things that are out there. And so when we talk about separating from sinners, one, we can't do it in the most ultimate sense because we are sinners. We're not entirely sanctified. We have a former manner of life, as Paul talked about in Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 22, and we have brought that former manner of life into our new Christian experience. And though we have definitive sanctification, meaning we have everything that we need for life and godliness, there is progressive sanctification. We want to take everything that we have all that we need to grow up, and we want to progressively grow up, and that means that we have a former manner of life that is continuing to evolve into Christ's likeness. And so we have worldliness in our hearts. Now, when James talked about that, he said something very similar to what John is saying. Uh, James said in chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, he says, Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. That's sentence number 1 in James 1, 14 and 15. Sentence number 2 says, Then desire when it has conceived in our hearts, 
it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And so James and John are saying something that is in proximity to each other. John is saying all that is in the world, the the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, these things that are in us, that's worldliness. And then James says it another way, that when we're tempted, we're lured and enticed by our own desires, by what is in our hearts. And so when we talk about separating from sinners, we, we need to think, making, make sure that we're thinking differently about separation and what it means, and at the same time, think about engagement by recognizing that sin is in our hearts, worldliness is in our hearts. So one, we can't totally separate from the world because it's in our hearts. Therefore, two, we better think about, excuse me, we better think about engagement, starting with engaging ourselves because we have worldliness in our hearts. We're tempted by our own desires, lured away by our own desires. Therefore, when someone asked, should we separate from sinners? Well, we can't really do that. Therefore, we need to think about rules of engagement, starting with engaging ourselves, but obviously that would roll out into engaging others too. And so we must think about how to engage sin and sinners with caution and with courage. And so we need to think about we can't separate from sinners completely, ultimately, technically, And so if we can't separate from sinners, how do we engage them with caution, courage, and you could say compassion and and grace as well? Let me give you an example. If you have sinful desires, like what James was saying, we're lured by our own desires. If you have worldliness in your heart, which we do, and so if you have sinful desires regarding something in the world— then wisdom would say that you need to stay away from that thing. It's not necessarily that that thing is a problem, but because of your evil desires, you make that thing a problem. Let me give you a few illustrations. We'll take sex, for example. Sex is a beautiful thing. Sex is given to us by by God. But because we are perverted, because we are fallen, we can look at sex and be lured away by our sinful desires. Again, the worldliness is in our hearts. Therefore, we would want to stay away from certain things, like the adulterous woman, as you would read in in Proverbs. You'd want to stay off the, the Internet, for example. You would want to flee fornication, as Paul told Timothy. But you wouldn't throw sex out because sex is a beautiful thing. And so there is a place for sex, where it's not evil and it's not twisted. But because of your former manner of life that Paul was talking about, uh, because of twistedness of your own heart, because of the worldliness in your own heart, uh, you want to separate from some things in the culture because you're lured by your own heart toward those things. And so that would be an illustration that We can't completely separate from sinners, but we need to think about engagement with with courage and caution. And so one of those illustrations would be sex. Another one would be alcohol. 
Alcohol is not evil uh, in itself, but obviously fallen people take alcohol and they use it in evil ways. And so one Christian can be okay drinking alcohol and a, another one not for reasons, and I'll talk more about that in just a moment. But let's say that you are a person, similar to the illustration about sex, to where alcohol just draws you. Again, the issue is not so much the alcohol. It, it is a twisted, evil heart. We are tempted by the desires of our heart, as James said. And so some of you have been around us long enough to know that, you know, my dad was an alcoholic. He was a drunkard. According to Scripture, he was a drunkard. Alcohol owned him. According to Galatians 6.1, sin had captured him. It owned him. And so it would be unwise for him to, to go to a liquor store, to go to a bar, to hang out with people that, that love drinking alcohol. That would be so foolish for him to do that. He needs to separate from those things because his, his heart desires those things, similar to the illustration with sex. So sometimes we can do like Simon the Stylite. We can separate from those things thinking that those things are the problem when in reality those things aren't the primary problem. The primary problem is us and our hearts. I've used two illustrations of sex and, and alcohol. Another illustration would be controlling evil friends. Let's say that you have some associations, and, and for whatever reason, they can gaslight you, they can manage you, they can manage your emotions, they can control you. Should you separate from sinners? Those sinners you most certainly should because you don't have the internal constitution, the fortitude to be able to withstand what they're doing to you. You can't confront or rebuke them. You don't have the courage or the grace or whatever the issue is, but they have management over your lives. And so, yes, you would separate from them, just like sex and alcohol and controlling friends. And, and my fourth illustration would be the Internet. Uh, many and, and not just for pornography reasons, but the Internet, many teenagers need to separate from the Internet because they desire it. They desire the likes. They, they get flipped upside down when someone dislikes them. Uh, they, they're trying to be influencers, and they're being influenced by people on the Internet or just by the medium itself. They love that platform, and it is an addiction but then again, our ministry uses the redemptive use of technology. We use technology redemptively, and God has done a, a phenomenal work in, in the almost decade and a half that this ministry has been in existence. And when we sat down in 2008, and, and as I was talking to Lucia about building a, a ministry to take the gospel far and wide, I said, how can we use technology redemptively because there is an echo of omnipresence in technology, meaning just to Today, I have been all over the world. Technology is ubiquitous. There is an echo of omnipresence in technology, and you can use it in a redemptive way. It's a phenomenal thing. But then there are other people like sex, alcohol, controlling friends, and the Internet. And so those are four illustrations where you need to separate, not because those things are inherently evil. Sex is good. In my view, it's okay for some people to drink alcohol. Friends are good, but you can have controlling evil friends. The Internet is good, uh, but it can be evil as well. But it depends on the user. 
like my dad with alcohol, no way, no how. You shouldn't be drinking it. You shouldn't be hanging out with those who do. You shouldn't be going to those places to do it because you love it. And so there are cases to be made to separate from things in the culture, separate from sinners. But we have to understand where the point of, of emphasis is, where the accent mark is. And the accent mark always starts in our own hearts, the things that lure us away. And so we want to guard against the thinking that, that separating from the world will keep us from worldliness. Th that has to be deconstructed. We have to dismantle that kind of worldview because, again, what people would do, they'll not recognize that their own hearts are, are wicked and they'll just separate from the world and then everything just starts falling in on itself at that point because it's going to create all sorts of problems. One of those problems is how in the world can you go and make disciples if you separate from the world? You can't separate from sinners in the wrong way and then go and make disciples at the same time. All you're going to do is build an echo chamber, a silo, and you're going to have a, a Christian cult of, of your own, my four and, and no more. And, and sinners, there's no engagement of sinners, and sinners won't, will not want to hang out with you, and you won't want to hang out with them because you have a doctrine of separation, and so you create this stifling echo chamber, this silo, and, and you can't really fulfill uh, what Christ is asking us to do at the end of the book of Matthew to go and make disciples or what we call the Great Commission. And so if we have a wrong view of worldliness and don't recognize our own heart temptations, as I've been talking about, and we see worldliness out there, we're going to separate from them. And again, as I said, everything's going to start collapsing on itself, and we will not be able to honor uh, God's Word like at this one point, uh, going and make disciples. We can't even be evangelists because we're separating from the people thinking that that is the problem, when in reality that is not the primary problem. We have to address the primary problem in our hearts. And so, for example, if you have a weak conscience, and so go to 1 Corinthians 8, and if you read those 13 verses, you will see, and I'm, I'm sure most of you are familiar with it, uh, where Jewish converts uh, in their former Jewish lifestyle, they believed that if you ate meat that was sacrificed to idols, uh, that, that would just, that's just an evil sin, and they trained their internal moral thermostat to gauge that, to recognize that. If that's meat that's sacrificed to idols, I'm not touching it, I'm not eating it, I'm not going to go near it, I'm going to separate from it. And so they trained their inner voice, and like a divining rod, <laughs> whenever they got near meat sacrificed to idols, their conscience was going ding, 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 ding. You know, back up, back up, back up, separate, 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 separate. In reality, they had a weak conscience, and Paul talked about that in 1 Corinthians 8. And so part of the discussion of separating from the world, there may be some wisdom in separating from certain things because of your former associations, as Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 8. Meaning, if you have a weak conscience like the Jewish converts, then you need to 
refrain and retrain. And so you need to refrain from now because your conscience is condemning you and you can't sin against your conscience. In that sense, your conscience is your highest level of morality that you must obey. Of course, your conscience is out of order. What should be our highest level of morality should be the Bible, but our conscience is at a higher level, and Paul says you have to obey your conscience here. Don't make them sin against their conscience, and so they have to refrain, and then you want to retrain their conscience and bring it down to a normal level to where their conscience and the Bible are singing the same song on the same sheet music, that is the sweet spot, because as Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 8, we know that there are no gods, so-called gods, and we know that, that eating meat sacrificed to idols ain't no thing. That's my paraphrase. But he also says that knowledge can make you arrogant and make you uh, all puffed up as we read in the King James Bible. And so we want to be careful as we talk about these people, or talk to these people rather, don't be talking about them, as we talk to these people, that they need to separate because their conscience is condemning them. They need to refrain, and then we want to retrain them so that they can enjoy that happy meal with peace, with, with shalom, and their conscience is not condemning them. They don't have to separate, and they don't have to separate from someone who's eating meat offered to idols, though they may never eat that meat offered to idols. They can associate because they have retrained their consciences. And so there could be a conscience issue to where you do need to separate. There's also the appearance of evil issue, where my brother struggles with something that I am doing in a secondary preferential tertiary matter. And because I love my brother, I'm not going to entertain that thing. I'm not going to partake of that thing because it causes my brother to stumble. And Paul was talking about that in 1 Corinthians 8 as well. For example, if you, if you have no issue with drinking alcohol, but your brother or sister does struggle, your Christian brother or sister does struggle, with the whole alcohol thing, then I, I would highly recommend that you don't drink alcohol. Don't, don't invite them over to your house and just bring out the booze, okay? Just don't do that because that is creating a, a stumbling block. And so you want to love them. You, know, you, you want to retrain them, but retraining them over an extended period would be wise rather than, than arrogantly puffing up and just doing what you want to because you're free, you're free to do it, but they are not, and it really complicates their souls. It twists them up inside. But with that said, you can't live according to someone else's secondary preferences. And so in some situations, it would be prudent to seek counsel about where you draw those lines with certain people. You may have the freedom to do it, but they don't have the freedom to do it. And, and so you want Christian charity to rule the day. So the question that's being asked is, should we separate from sinners? I've come at it from several different angles. You can go to episode 430 at lifeovercoffee.com, and you can look through these notes that I've just shared with you. And I'm going to wrap up by just asking you a, a few questions that I would love for you to ponder. And again, you can get these questions under episode 430, again, at lifeovercoffee.com. Question number one. Do you hang out with sinners? 
I trust you do, not just yourself. <laughs> you say, well, Rick, you said that, that, that I'm a sinner, and so I, I love me. Can't get enough of me. I hang out with me. Yeah, okay, good. I'm glad you love yourself. <laughs> but you hang out with other sinners too. And I'm not just talking about the Christian community. I had a friend tell me uh, years ago, said, I don't have any non-Christian friends. And I thought, oh, poor you. There's something wrong with that picture. Now, that person is beholden to the doctrine of separation in the worst kind of way, and so they don't have unregenerate friends. That is sad. Jesus hung out with sinners. If you don't have any sinner friends who are not Christians, then maybe you live in a silo. Maybe you ought to look to getting to know people who are different from you, because if you don't, meaning people who are not Christians— that you have those associations. I'm not saying that you party with them and go to the bars with them. Again, you can go back through all these notes here, and and I think that will give you some guidance, but we can't just dismantle the Great Commission. We need to go and make disciples. We need to go and evangelize. We need to tell people about Christ. That means associating with sinners. And so the question is, do you hang out with Sinners. Number two, is it normal for you to associate with people who have made mistakes, blunders, or sins? Sometimes what happens is we can scratch people off our list because they have made some blunder. They committed some kind of sin. And so this is a different iteration. Do you hang out with unregenerate people, which was question number one. Do you associate? Do you have unregenerate friends? I trust you do, especially uh, in the workplace. Uh, and again, I, again, I'm not talking about imbibing in what they do, you know, drinking and, and so forth. But you can have those associations, even if they're private associations, because you can, you're not going to go to their parties and so forth. The question number two here, is it normal for you to associate with people who have really messed up? That's another version of this same question, mess, uh, hanging out with people who are different from you. Number three, how different does someone's sin how different does someone's sin make them different from you? And, what, and what, I, what the question is asking, do we compare ourselves to other people? How different does someone else's sin make them different from me? Are we really different? Now, I know that the consequences of sin are different. I get that. And somebody who kills somebody is, consequentially, that's worse than anything I've ever done in my life. But do I think that I'm better than them? That's the question. They may have done sins consequentially that are far worse than any that I have done, but do I think that I'm better than them? I'm not. I, I am not. And the danger here is that we can elevate ourselves above other people. We could be like the Pharisee in the temple looking down on the person and smoting our breast and saying, thank God I'm not like that person. And so, yes, there is a consequential argument to make. Sins can be different consequentially. But sinners are not different ontologically. All of us are totally depraved in need of God's grace to regenerate us. Number four, what would staying away from a person or staying away from a, an event communicate to that friend? And, and, and question number five is another way of asking it. What would attending an event or associating with a person communicate to an individual? And so that's two sides of the same coin. It's like in Proverbs, answer not a fool and answer a fool. 
You know, that's under a wisdom issue. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. And so question four and five is asking both sides of the same coin. What would staying away from a sinner or staying away from an event, what would that communicate to them? And then what would attending an event or associating with that sinner, what would that communicate to them? And again, it's a wisdom issue, and each situation is different, and you have to work that out. And then maybe a good follow-up to those two questions is, what are the long-term consequences for the decision to stay away or to engage? What would be the long-term consequences as you can understand them? Obviously, we're not omniscient. We don't know the future. And so there's some humility there in that question that we have to uh, recognize, but we do want to think about what, what could be potentially some of the long-term consequences by the decision that we make today to, to, to engage them or to stay away from them. And then finally, question number seven, how much does the fear of others, the fear of other people, influence what you do, where you go, and the associations you make. You have to ask the fear of man question because all of us struggle with that to varying degrees. Now, some people are on the other side of that spectrum, and they just don't give a rip what anybody thinks. Well, that's bad too, and so we want to stay out of either one of those ditches. Some people can be overly controlled by what other people think, and then some people just don't give a rip. Both of those people need some work. Here's the conclusion to the question, the question is, should Christians separate from sinners? The main thing is that, that we must have a heart to reach people with the gospel. That's the main thing. Which way are you leaning? Are you leaning toward, I want to reach people with the gospel? That's the way we should be leaning, recognizing that there will be some people that we can't hang out with, and there'll be some places that we cannot go but our desire is always to reach people with the gospel of Christ. However, because of fallenness in our hearts, because of the complexity in the world, there will be times when reaching them is not wise or it's not possible. Thus, the most important question becomes, what is the most effective way you can be Jesus to a person right now and in the future? What is the most effective way that you can be Jesus to that sinner? It may mean separating from them. It may be not going through their thing, or it may be engaging them and building a relational bridge to them, but each situation stands on its own merit. You want to see what God's Word says. You want to obey your conscience, of course. You want to get the input of the community, and then you make those decisions independently, uniquely, according to all of these uh, different things that make up this particular situation. This is episode 430. The question is, should Christians separate from sinners? I am Rick Thomas. Find me, find us at lifeovercoffee.com. God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.